Hello, it's August, it's Al, and I'm on my weekend check-in podcast, 6th of August. It's 9.45 as I record this, and uh, I'm just checking in. Just checking in to see if you're okay, how you're doing, how your week's been, what your plans are, and uh, to share mine as well with you. So I hope everything is good with you. And uh, yeah, I've got... um, I'm just looking at the week ahead here on my uh, on my little phone calendar, and I've got a um, I've got a thing called Connecting Communication. It's a workshop I'm doing in in Liverpool on Saturday, so in just six days' time. If you wanted to come along to that, um, it's really for it's to get you to become skilled at difficult conversations, I suppose. And it's also good if you're one of those people who puts everyone else's needs above yours. Or if you get caught up in conflict, you know, those those kind of things, really. So I'm going to be showing you how to do those things really, really well, so that there's no conflict and everyone's needs get met. So that's on Saturday in Liverpool, and it's at 10 o'clock um, in the city centre location. If you want to come to that, um, just go to ticketor.com forward slash parry events. So that's ticketor.com forward slash parry events there's not many left by the way in terms of the tickets so um do dive in it'd be fab to see you there and three hours later i think you'll have learned something that will transform your life because it has mine so um get along to that if you possibly can um yeah so what do i have to tell you about this week well i'll tell you what i'll start with (laughs) oh lordy Uh, i'm having real (laughs) <laughs> I'm having real escapades with uh, my doctors lately. Remember, I checked out my um, my vocal issues and I had to go and have a cancer check and they made me swallow a camera and everything was fine on that front, but they found out I've got the beginning of nodules. So I'm going for vocal therapy uh, on, well, tomorrow, actually. I'm going tomorrow um, while I'm waiting for the NHS vocal therapist, which I think will take about 43 years. <laughs> Um, I've done what many singers um, do, and that's just get a vocal coach. So I've never done this before. I've had one one lesson when I was having some vocal trouble in the past. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to see what I can possibly do in order to kind of repair my voice through vocal therapy, because I'm told that's very, very possible, very probable, in fact, if I do the right exercises. And I've, I've also seen... Um, Online, somebody say, don't rest your voice too much. Um, So I was kind of like giving myself a a big full-on rest. So I think some sort of rest is going to be useful, but not so much that it weakens my voice. So tomorrow, I'll be well-armed in terms of what I should be doing, in terms of um, getting my voice better and how to treat it nicely and all that sort of stuff. So that's tomorrow, but (laughs) last week... um, Oh, what day did I go? I think it was, yes, it was. It was Tuesday. And I went to the doctor for a chat about something else. And I really didn't expect this. I thought it'd be a chat. Maybe they'd say, oh, it's nothing to worry about. Or they'd maybe send me for a referral somewhere if they if they were a bit more anxious or thought it needed investigating. And um, <laughs> she said, um <clears throat> She said, uh, <laughs> the doctor said, um, I'm, I'm going to have to investigate your back passage. That's a phrase, isn't it? That's a phrase you don't want to hear first thing on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> so I thought, oh no, 
you know, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Um, and also I felt a little bit guilty because there's this woman just trying to do her job. She doesn't know what I'm turning up for. And the next minute she's <laughs> she's having to stick her fingers up my bum. <laughs> it's not how she wanted to. I'm sure that's put it off her sandwiches. <laughs> so anyway, this is what happened. I had to kind of um, have the screen around. I had to lower, lower my trousers. And um, before that happened, she said... Um, would you like a chaperone? <laughs> and I thought this is like a 1950s um, a 1950s movie, isn't it? Would you like it? I said to her, you know, it's not a date. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I said I didn't need a chaperone, obviously. So I had to go and, and, and lower my trousers and, and face the wall. And she said to me, uh, I'm just going to insert a gloved finger. <laughs> oh dear um, and I was thinking well I hope it's just a, low a latex glove you know I hope it's not like gardener's gloves with them funny little spiky things on the end do you know the first time this ever happened to me by the way um, I'm going back about 10 years and it never ever happened to me before and I went to see um, a doctor at the hospital and he said the same kind of thing that he needed to investigate. Because they do with with fellas. And I, I'm not sure whether they need to do this with women. I know you have other things investigated with metal clamps and everything. Uh, so I'm not going to engage in a competition there because I think you'll win. Um, but I they do this with men. They they often try and have a little look inside inside that place. And um, the first time this ever happened to me, it was, um, it was a, a male doctor this time. And, you know, they tell you it and you just think, okay, fair enough, this needs to happen. It's all about my health, etc. But then I looked at his hands and is, do you know when someone has kind of quite slender fingers and you think, oh, they're, they're, they could be a good pianist. This guy was the opposite to that. You know, every one of his fingers were like, they were like big toes. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I left the hospital that day very much a broken man. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's very undignified, isn't it? Um, and she actually apologised as it went in. It was like, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry about this. <laughs> and I'm, I'm lying there, like, you know, facing the wall, like I'm sooty and she's she's Matthew Corbett. And then, and then, you know, after it was all done, I'm just sat there again, pants up, obviously, um, back in the normal doctor's area, sat there just having a chat. As if nothing happened. It's the strangest thing. You know, you think I'd just slink out after that, but you you kind of... She leaves you to um, rearrange yourself and you you put your trousers back on and everything and you just come and sit there and you have a chat about, like, appointments and possible options and all that kind of thing. It was the strangest, strangest thing. And she was the only person I saw that day. And I was thinking... <laughs> What kind of day is it where 100% of the people you see put put a finger up your bum? Um, so I didn't see anyone else. I was worried. <laughs> I was worried it was es it would escalate. So um, yeah, and then I told I told people on Facebook because I'm I'm like that, you know. I'm <laughs> I tend to overshare on Facebook. Do you do that? I tend to overshare. I'm oversharing now, aren't I? I'm over. Oh, I've done it again done it again <laughs> yeah i tell people on facebook looking for sympathy what did they do they clicked like to give me a thumbs up well that didn't help did it that didn't help 
uh, I was listening to Radio 4. Um, and I was listening to this thing about post-truth, you know, because Trump is in now. And uh, it's all kind of, uh, Trump is in now. I actually said that. It's still hard to believe, isn't it? But he is. Trump is in the White House. And um, I think sometimes, though, you know, with Trump, we shouldn't get too... We shouldn't... Uh, Trump sometimes, I think, is like the beard for the way the system operates. You know, the system is pretty harsh, isn't it? You know, all presidents... No matter what persuasion kind of run the run the beast basically of American capitalism um, and American foreign policy, and I think that sometimes I think the problem with Trump is that he's he's too blatant, and I think that's sometimes why the the elites don't like him so much because they'd rather someone be suave and sophisticated and, and and good in front of the camera and unite people around all this kind of harshness. But um, I don't know why I'm talking about Trump. Oh yeah, the post-Trump stuff, the post-truth thing, same thing, I suppose. And they were talking about the nature of truth on this program. I catch a little bit of Radio Four when I'm driving, and there was this. Uh, they were talking about like the spin doctors from the New Labour time, and they had this story from uh, you know the the writer and broadcaster Stuart McConey was apparently having a, a a conversation off the air. This is. He was having just a, a kind of social conversation with Peter Mandelson. I, I don't know why they were together in that way, but they were. And um, <laughs> Mandelson says to Stuart Marconi, he says, you know, he says, all of this talk that the media say about about my image is all nonsense and invented, you know. They, they even call me the Prince of Darkness, you know. It's all, it's all very amusing and all very false. And at that point, his phone rings, he says, excuse me. <laughs> and he turns his back on Stuart Marconi to get the call, and he listens for a moment and then responds, this must be suppressed. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so that was good. I, 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 got, um, I got in the shower the other day, I think it was the day before yesterday, and, of course, I wear glasses, don't I? So I, I, I get out of bed. I'm all kind of blurry-eyed and sleepy-headed anyway. I don't have my glasses on. And I, I, I trundle into the bathroom. St- I switch on the shower before I get, get in. Put the old leg over the bathtub thing so I'm stood in the bathtub. And I haven't got my glasses on, so the whole world is fuzzy. Um, who, who needs narcotics when you can just take your glasses off? <laughs> so the whole world is fuzzy and then I see this huge black thing moving and I, I didn't even say this right I didn't say it it just came out I heard myself say it it was like there was no kind of pre-processing at all I just heard my voice say what the fucking hell is that <laughs> and I legged it from the bathroom stuck my glasses on and there was this I spoke about spiders didn't I last week this was ridiculous the most enormous spider that you can possibly imagine. It was just... Oh. So I was stood with the thing, and I, in the end, it, it took me about... I don't know what you meant to do with something like that. And I managed to swill it down the plug hole, but every time I thought I'd swilled it down the plug hole, um, back it came again, these legs would re-emerge, like, like a spider version of Fatal Attraction. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, so yeah, so this 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 issue with spiders is remaining. But my little pet spider, he's gone. I don't know where he's gone, um, but he hasn't been out for a long time, uh, for about three or four days. So um, so that little interaction is gone. But I suppose I'm glad, really. You know, I don't like spiders very much. 
I've got a um, listener's question from uh, Chris Stirrup, and um, the footy season's starting, you see, isn't it? The the footy season start. Well, it starts today with the charity. It started yesterday, if it wasn't the Premier League. And, um, yeah, so it starts with the charity shield today, and... Uh, the actual full fixtures start next week. And you know what? I'm not a bit excited about it. I'm really not. You know, Liverpool have barely signed anyone anyway. You know, Jürgen was there doing the whole Billy Big Bollocks thing about we're going to sign this and we're going to sign that. It doesn't look like we're signing anyone else. Um, and it's hard to be excited because, you know, Liverpool were fourth last year and that means we've got the Champions League this year, which means we're going to have... We had a very light fixture list last year and we were still playing kids out of necessity. So um, I don't feel much optimism for the season ahead. But also, like I said last week, football's really doing my head in. You know, the money side of it um, is is crazy. And this is the question that Chris was asking. He he was mentioning Neymar. Now, Neymar, for those who are, who are not into football, um, is someone who plays for Barcelona, who are basically the top team in the, in the world, really. And uh, plays for Barcelona and has been bought by Paris Saint-Germain in Paris. Now, these are bankrolled by um, by the Qataris. I don't know a lot about their situation, just what I've read. Um, but I think these are like sort of investments, uh, investors who are linked with the Qatar government, who, who, who've got all sorts of kind of like human rights abuses, haven't they? And, you know, the slave labour going on in terms of building the stadium for the, uh, for the World Cup, which God knows how they got. Um, but I'm sure it didn't. It didn't uh, involve packages of things in brown envelopes in any way whatsoever. You know, Qatar is kind of unbearable. You can't even sort of go out in the sunshine in the summer, and then they win. Um, they win the competition to host summer events of sport. Just bonkers. So anyway, they're bankrolling the uh, the Paris Saint Germain football team, and so they buy Neymar, a mere footballer. For two hundred million pounds, that's point two billion. That's what they've signed him for. And the previous record was Paul Pogba, who plays for Man United. Who I have to say is crap. I mean, I said this when they bought him. I mean, I was watching him in in a tournament. And I was thinking, him, he's the one they're after for like a hundred million. He used to actually be at Man United before they they let him go as a youngster, and then they bought him back for a hundred million. And and for me, it was just. I don't know. I couldn't see much difference between what he was doing and Deep Mahaman. Who, as you, for those who know me, I'm 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 a maverick on the Deep Mahaman question. Everyone seems to think the sun shines. I thought he was a very limited um, sideways passer of a ball. Who also, incidentally, um, defended Thatcher when she died as well. He put a tweet up saying um, all the kind of uh, comments about Thatcher sickened him to his stomach. And I responded, your sideways passes used to do the same for me. <laughs> but anyway, lesser Paul Pogger and Deep, Deep Mahaman, Neymar for 200 million. Now, to be fair, he's a great player, but, um, you know, when when sums like that are being passed around, it's, it's hard for me now to watch football, even my own team, without feeling some sense of remoteness to them. Uh, you know, I can't afford to get in the game anymore because it's too expensive. You can go to the Unity Theatre, by the way, for 12 quid, but you have to pay 40-odd quid to get into the match. And that's bonkers, isn't it? So I'd rather go and see the theatre these days. Um, yeah, so I don't know what I think about it. Just echo echo Chris what I said last week. 
you know, I think it's absolutely bonkers and it's hard to make me feel connected to to something that's so kind of obscene, really. Um, yeah, so uh, I haven't got much more to say on that. Do you know, my phone is, is black and white. It looks like it's broke, but I've done it deliberately. So do you know when your phone, you switch your phone on, is all sorts of colours, like you've got the, the Twitter app is kind of like a, a blue and Evernote is green and all the apps are there and it's all lovely colours, etc. Not mine, it's like, it's totally black and white, grayscale. It's like, it's like when I had my ZX81. Did anyone ever have a ZX80 or a ZX81? Um, it was just like a, you, you, I think it only did black and white. I used to have it on a kind of black and white portable. Um... Yeah. So it's funny, actually. I was watching a clip before of the Liverpool Athletic Bilbao game, looking at the highlights, but it was all in black and white, so I felt like I was about eight or nine again when I used to have the little black and white portable in my room. Um, and the reason I've done that, by the way, is because um, there's been some research. I heard this from Tim Ferriss on his latest podcast, but there's been some research that says that if you grayscale your phone, um, you spend less time on it. And I'd like to spend less time on my phone and I think all the fancy colours and making it all shiny, etc. makes it more likely that you'll go on. Whereas turning it grayscale, a bit like um, there's a type of therapy called EMDR. And also they, they do this in um, NLP as well, actually neuro-linguistic uh, programming, where you will you will take a traumatic event and you'll kind of lower the brightness on it and all things like that. You'll see it as an image on a screen and then you'll start making it further away and you'll lower the brightness on it and that makes it more, makes it less, um, you know, in your head, basically less powerful. And so I suppose this is following the same sort of techniques to see if that would work in terms of a phone and they found that in fact it does. So I thought, right phone, right phone, you have a grip on me. So I'm going to, I'm going to use it less and, um, so that's what I'm doing now. I've um I've I've turned it off. I've turned all the colour off and we'll see how that goes because I'd like to use my phone my phone less. Yeah. I was watching um I tell you what I was doing thinking of screens. I was watching crap telly last night. Hardly ever I've got a TV, but I hardly ever switch it on. Maybe once a fortnight for a, probably about half an hour. Um probably once a month, maybe even once every six weeks. Do I have a serious sit down and veg in front of the telly? And I did it last night and telly's bonkers, isn't it? And I, I think I was knackered, so I was I was quite happy to watch to watch crap really. Um, but there were two programmes on, one of which made me apoplectic with rage, really. It was called My Small Breasts and I. And um I watched it because that's an aspirational program for me. <laughs> me on my diet. Actually, me on my diet, I've, um, I'll get to the crap telly in a second. I'll give you an update. I was 207 last week, and, and it's reporting this morning that I'm at 207.4. 207.4, that's not how it's meant to work. Um, I've put 0.4 of a pound on. Now, I must say that this week I've not been as strict as in previous weeks. I do find when I'm dieting that normally after the fourth week, I start to get a bit rebellious. And so what I generally do then is just I I, I, um, I slacken things off. You know, I say, okay, you can have more calories per day and only lose half a pound. So that's how I've been playing it this week. And I'll probably do the same next week. But 
The scales, who of course, as I've told you before, are deeply unreliable anyway, have, have, have put me up by half a pound. So it's instructive really, because if any of you are, are sort of um, losing weight yourself, don't get don't get hung up on one one uh, scale reading, because we're not like a tin of peas. You put a tin of peas on the scale this week, and it's going to weigh the same as it did last week, and the same as it will next week. But bodies aren't like that. We've got all sorts of fluid and, you know, how much water we've got on our body, how dehydrated we are. It all kind of adds up. And um, so I never get hung up on one rogue uh, weight scale reading. And also, I have lost um, some weight since I started anyway. So I'm heading largely in the right direction. If it's up or similar, you know, next week, then I'll start to worry and and reevaluate what I'm doing in terms of the weight loss. But according to the scales, I'm up by 0.4 of a pound. I don't believe that whatsoever. So anyway, yet my small breasts and I, it wasn't actually an aspirational program for chubby men. No, it was um, <laughs> it was a program about women who were in A cup and didn't like the fact that they were. And they had three three women on it and. Um, the thing that the thing that really kind of upset me about the program is they were perfectly fine. You know that they had this kind of view in their own minds that they were less than, and that there was something wrong with them. There absolutely wasn't. They were fine, um, and yet they were they were looking into options of like surgery, and it even showed a surgery of of a woman in a similar situation. And this doctor, who's obviously making tens of thousands of pounds, you know, who's obviously stinking rich from from cutting women up. Um, it really did offend me, you know, because you actually saw the operation. You saw him beginning to slice into this woman's body with a knife. You know, you saw the tube down her throat, hair unconscious. Oh, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And nothing about this person's body needed to change in any way. For any reason, what needed to change is that this person had thoughts that were not helpful to them. And, you know, it doesn't take a surgeon's knife and multiple thousands of pounds in order to change a person's thoughts. And thankfully, um, thankfully, they ended up not going down that route. Um, one of them did some sort of thing called phototherapy where it actually tackled her body image thoughts successfully as well and um and and it kind of underlined my point why do these how are these surgeons allowed to cut into people's bodies when there's nothing that needs change in there apart from how people view about it now I'm, i'm not talking about cosmetic surgery through things like accidents or whatever i'm not even pontificating about cosmetic surgery generally but if someone is like in those situations that I saw on telly last night, it really did upset me that they went through the trauma. You know, actually taking a knife to a woman's body just because her body image, you know, needs changing. And that doesn't take a knife. Anyway, it kind of, it, it, it did upset me to see that. And... Um, yeah, I was going to say something else about it, and I've forgotten. But the other thing I saw after that was bonkers, because I was I was in full um, I was in full vegetation mode at that point, and um, I put on this thing. You know, you're flicking through, <laughs> and 
And it shows what kind of IQ state I was in, really. They had this thing called the Spouse House. It's, this is an American program. Unbelievable. I mean, what a world we live in. The Spouse House, right? You have 12 people, and it was six men and six women went into this house with the purpose of getting married. So they were put in there by relationship experts. I'm, I'm doing the air quotes around experts. So these relationship experts put them in a house for our entertainment. Uh, it was quite entertaining, I have to admit. <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to see the next one. And um, they have an eviction at the end of each week. And also the possibility for a marriage proposal, because that's the whole point. They leave married. Isn't this bonkers? So these are like single people. Some of them are only in their mid-twenties. And they go into this house in this horribly competitive environment. You know, because if you're a fella in there, there's five other fellas who are competing against you. And the same if you're a woman, there's five other women competing. And there's these kind of situations in there. And they'll actually leave with one of the other six. You know, so you've got like a one in... There's lots of people in the world. <laughs> it was. It's just stunning, isn't it? That they're actually going, going to go in, meet someone, don't know who the hell they are, spend some time in a Big Brother-style house with them, and then emerge married. And you can see they're really undecided. There was this guy... He looked a right squirt, actually, but he had these two women interested in him. And, um, <laughs> which is probably why I took against him. <laughs> um, yeah, and he, he, he couldn't make his mind up. And so there were these kind of like two women hanging on his decision. I thought, how disempowered is that, really? You know, and it wasn't, was it happening the other way around? I'm trying to think, was there actually a situation where, see, there were two fellas who each had two women hanging on their decision. And one of them actually, you know, went over and had the conversation and kind of got rid of one of them and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to focus on this other one. And she got all upset and all that. But, how, you know, it reminded me of the song Jolene. That, that, it's a great song, but it, it always kind of irritates me. There's a song by um, oh, Jez Lowe, folk artist from the North East. It's a, it's a lovely melody um, called London Danny. And it's about this guy... And his partner used to go out with this Danny, this kind of Flash character, except that he went to London and she couldn't follow him. So he kind of got, he dumped her. And um, she settled for this fellow that she's with at the moment. But in the song, he says, you know, I know that if you ask her, she'll go. And and she's still kind of lovelorn for this London Danny. And uh, I just... It gets on my nerves. Lovely song, but it gets on my nerves. I just think, oh, stand up for yourself, fella. You know, if she prefer London Danny, get rid of her. Get someone who wants you. You know, and Jolene's the same, you know. <laughs> Blimey. Because Jolene's the same, isn't it, you know? Jolene, um, don't take him just because you can. Well, if you can, go. If you'll go just because Jolene's going to be calling. You obviously don't want me. Sod off, you know. I'll I'll find someone who just wants me. So um yeah, those songs annoy me. And that's and that, that program was annoying me as well. I was thinking, don't be lingering for days while this fella makes the decision. You make the decision, tell him to do one, and find you start choosing yourself. Anyway, so that's me and crap TV. But you know uh, I can slag it off, but when it finished, I was like, ooh, because there was a bit of a cliffhanger, you know. There was a bit of a cliffhanger. This fella who dumped this second one so he could focus on the first one. 
he kind of got overtaken on the first one by this other fella who kind of stepped in. And so suddenly he'd peed on his chips, you know, he hadn't, he, he, it looked like he'd, uh, he'd lost everything because he, he ditched one, one of the women and then the other women looked like she was on the verge of saying yes to this other fella and he's, he's left then, isn't he, with like having lost a third of the house. So that was quite good, really. He got his comeuppance, really, in the end. <laughs> and, and then I was like, ooh, when's the next one on? Uh, I might have a sneaky watch of episode three today just to see what happened. This is the thing with rubbish telly, though, is it? You know, you don't use it, it uses you. It's a bit like Facebook. <laughs> you don't use it. It's not a tool for you. You're a tool for it. Um, so, yeah, I'll have to watch that. Um, where am I up to? Oh, I went to see um, Henry Priestman and Les Glover through the week on Wednesday. That was good. With me um, voice being rested and everything, I didn't have my normal engagement on Wednesday night. So I went up to uh, the Atkinson in Southport and um, lots of people there that I know and the Grateful Fred night that's run by my mate Colin. And um, I saw Jimmy Ray there as well and a host of other people. Um, yeah, so that was that was nice. And... Um, Henry and Les were in good form, and they got Sarah Wright from Jimmy Ray and the Moonshine Girls to to um, to to come up. Jimmy Ray and the Moonshine Girls. I think I mispronounced that then. <laughs> um, yeah, so she did harmony. She was great as well, and uh, I got some good hugs from Henry and Les and Sarah and Jimmy and all of the rest. And um, yeah, it was a really really good night. They put on a cracking show, Henry and Les. It's always good fun for the audience. And uh, so I enjoyed that. Um, what I did notice, though, my journey home was hellish. I've got this weird thing on my car. First of all, I took a wrong turning. And then by the time I came back to try and get on the M62 again, they'd closed it off a of roadworks, which is what they always do of an evening. It's terrible coming home from gigs I'm playing and I think, oh, this should be nice and easy because there'll be no cars on the road. But it takes longer because you've been sent on all sorts of diversions. So all that happened and... On top of that, my car was kind of going, you know, really, I won't do it with because it'll damage my voice, but it was making some really mad rattle and my head was banging with it. So I've decided to um, put it in for a service, send it to the garage. Um, but I spoke to my friend Howard and he says it's the exhaust. So um, when I go to the doctors, I have my back end fiddled with and it looks like my car's in for the same treatment. So, um, yeah, it's MOTs coming up soon, so I need to get that sorted. Um, so I'll get it serviced, get it running in nice order again. And uh, so my car will be getting looked after just as my voice gets looked after on the same day. So a pretty busy day tomorrow, really. And on Tuesday, I've got um, I've got my very first rehearsal for my new improv company. Um, we're doing full-length plays, so we're not doing short-form comedy sketches like most improv companies do we're do we're going to be doing full length 60 minute plays we might even build up to 90 but we'll do 60 initially and uh, we're getting together for the first time on tuesday so that means that today i'm going to have to be doing a bit of work uh in terms of planning the session um see nobody really does this i say nobody there's a handful of people in the improv world who do this but hardly anyone does but and it's a good thing because even even just by doing it, you're amongst the top in the world. Even if you're rubbish. 
So I'm going to be looking at what we need to do in order to train ourselves to get to the point where we're able to do these uh, 60-minute plays. So I think I'll start with some some basic introductory exercises, and then probably in about three or four weeks' time, um, I'll start introducing them to the structure that I have planned in order to be able to to kind of move through uh, a full-length play. The content's going to be improvised, but I think you need a kind of a, a scaffold so you know that this scene has a certain purpose, like the inciting incident or whatever. So, yeah, that's quite exciting. Uh, we did the auditions a few weeks ago, and um, so the very first one is on Tuesday night. So uh, looking forward to that. I went to book club on Monday, and uh, the funny thing, you know, about book club is... <laughs> well, this book was called, uh, what was it called? It's called The Road Home uh, by Rose Tremaine. And I have to say, I, d- I didn't much like it initially. Didn't much like it because there wasn't enough dialogue. Um, and I like dialogue. Uh, I'd probably be better just reading scripts, actually, rather than reading the rest of it. But, I mean, that's not quite true because I, d- I do like to get the little insights, you know, of a person's character. They describe sometimes how they're feeling in their inner world. But I don't like a lot of external description. You know, I remember reading a, a fiction writer's manual and it said something like, um, don't describe the forest unless there's a sniper in the trees. So in other words, don't give me loads of flowery description that doesn't mean anything. If there's a sniper in the trees, then there's some action there, so describe it. But otherwise, get on with the story. And I felt this a, a number of times in this book. Um but in the main, you know, I liked it. Once I persevered, I enjoyed the book. And uh, that's a good thing about book club, you see. It keeps you persevering on, on books that you wouldn't otherwise read. So I arrive at the book club, all liking the book by this point. And then other people start pointing out the flaws. And you're like, oh, yeah. And 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 I suppose uh, I realise how stupid I am. <laughs> how trusting I am. I'll just, if, if the story kicks off, I, I don't sort of sit there thinking about flaws. Like, how would that have happened? Well, that, that made me suspend my own my own belief. Well, no, nothing does really. Once I'm into the story and it's rattling along, pretty much anything can happen. And I realise as well <laughs> that I have no morality uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to the hero because they suddenly started discussing whether the hero, uh, a guy called Lev, East European guy, whether they liked him or not. But once I'm into the story. I'm there with the lead character. And I, I might kind of, you know, I remember starting to read The Great Gatsby, actually, and thinking, I hate all these people. And I jibbed it. Uh, I know it's meant to be a classic, but I just thought, eh, it's just full of rich people. I don't, I'm not, who cares? And I, I jibbed that. But once I'm into it, even if the hero there does something, and the hero in this does a couple of things which are morally dodgy, you just kind of bypass them. You know, I do anyway, so that's a bad thing, isn't it? I suppose that's I suppose that that's why you know how could something like the Sopranos be popular if you had to morally approve of the hero? I think I think what I do is I kind of see them in all their fullness, but um, yeah. So I felt all a moral there in front of everyone because they were judging him much much more harshly than I was. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. The one the one thing I have done actually before I close, I've started with audio books on Audible. And uh, I realised that I start reading a lot of non-fiction stuff, but don't finish it. And yet, I listen to podcasts an awful lot, and I thought, well, there's a lot of things that you can get where if you buy it on Kindle, you can spend just a tiny amount of money on top 
to get the whole audible thing and then you can then you can listen to books um even like the big long non-fiction ones listen to them and you know it's it's easier not to give up on them then so I'm, i've started to read i'll tell you the full name of it i mean the name of the book is called sapiens but let me get the um the guy who wrote it it's basically a history of the human race and it's fascinating me already um on these kind of um Ooh, what are they called? Yeah, on these podcasts where they ask people, like on the Tim Ferriss show, um, they say things like, um, you know, what's your favourite book and all that sort of stuff. And people always name this one. It's called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Yuval Noah Harari. And it's basically the history of us. We're the last surviving species of the human race. You know, other other... Other, um, you know, like you'll get a fox, but there's lots of different uh, species of them. It explains the development of us, how that happened, and why we became the most dominant animal on the planet, rather than what we used to be, which was just like somewhere in the middle of the food chain. You know, we'd we'd be a predator on some stuff, but we'd regularly get eaten by lions and... And now we're the most dominant, and I'd say most malevolent force on the planet. And it's the story of how that happened. It's really, really fascinating. And you know the thing that that makes it um, that one of the big reasons our superpower is cooperation, because we cooperate with each other as an animal in a way that other animals don't tend to do on such huge scale. But also the thing that makes that cooperation possible is our capacity for story. Because it's story, which, I mean, for instance, you know, one of the examples they give in the book, you can have two, in in animals, say, like a, a monkey or whatever, they'll cooperate as long as they know each other intimately. But with human beings, we can cooperate with people that are strangers, and we do that because we connect through story. So you can have two Catholics who will fight alongside each other in the Crusades, for instance. You'll have people go into war for the story of nation. You know, so all these kind of things like religion, nation, money, corporations, all concepts, all fictions are the things that enable us to cooperate. And it's just fascinating. And I know it's great because I know I'm definitely going to finish it um, because I can just view each chapter almost like a series of podcasts. And I often listen to series of podcasts. Here's a good recommendation of a great podcast. It's called Homecoming, and it's fiction, and it's got, um, oh, what's his name, David Schwimmer, is his called Ross out of Friends, he's in it, and it's a great drama. It's about um, what happens when people come home from the military after they've seen terrible things, and they go into this project called the Homecoming Project, and it's great. It's the first thing I've really heard where you've got kind of high-quality HBO-style drama, but in podcast form, and... Um, I'd recommend you listen to that. So yeah, audiobooks are my big, big find. Um, and there's a few books I've got in the go on the go at the moment, but Sapiens is one I'm listening to. The other one is called Solve for Happy, and it's by a guy named Mo Gordat. And Mo Gordat um, is like the business development manager of Google X. And he went through a tragic thing because he lost his son through medical negligence, actually. And... Um, He's kind of put his engineer's mind on the issue of happiness and how to be happy. 
and there's a lot of good stuff in there. People who've ever looked at Buddhism and meditation techniques will, will, and and also things like disattachment from ego and what even ego is. It's really good stuff. So um, yeah, so that's what that's what I'm onto now, and I'm really enjoying that because anytime I sit down and have some some food, I can throw another chapter of my book on, and uh, it takes about half an hour per chapter, and it's it's just it's just fascinating stuff, and I I love I love listening to um to ideas and things like that. So that's what I've been doing this week. I've been switched on to audiobooks. And I think that's me, actually. So, um, yeah, so lovely to check in with you on this Sunday, overcast Sunday here. I wonder if it'll rain. I, I often look look for rain, don't I, ever morning, and then it brightens up. But, uh, you know, it's 25 past 10 as I'm speaking at the moment, so maybe it won't. But, yeah, lovely to speak to you. And... Um, Hopefully no more fingers up the bum for next week. <laughs> so I'm going to play you out now with the song of the week. Tatty, bye, have a good week, and I'll see you on Sunday. Well, I'm singing this song for John Hartwell Burned to death in a bath at 18 Tied up and killed by his own psychotherapist Imposing their brutal regime but the colleagues, they hail them as heroes Even gave them the highest award No mention of Hartwell As they stood to cheer and applaud It's for your own good All these things that we do to you We know that you'll thank us someday our theories were invented on backs of envelopes But we won't let that stand in our way Hail to the ones who are experts And worship their fine expertise Don't expect evidence, just let them do what they please and pity the one they call patient Whenever the experts rush near Any fanatic can sure be an expert In their own madcap idea It's fire on good all these things that we do to you We know that you'll thank us someday our theories were invented on backs of envelopes But we won't let that stand in our way And now there's a sanitized history Where they hide all our bloodshed and pain So no subtle conscience is troubled by John Hartwell's name the cages are there to be rattled If dead men fall out when we do So own your own shit just like you tell your clients to do It's for your own good all these things that we do to you We know that you'll thank us someday our theories were invented on backs of envelopes 
But we won't let that stand in our way So I'm singing this song for John Hartwell And all victims of experts' excess So here's to love, mutuality and some humility won't go amiss Just accept that you don't have the answer Just bring me your love, care and doubt Speak out for truth, for respect and for justice When it's the next time to shout out Let there be no more of things that are done to you Let's see an end to that day Hold to the ones who no trust must be one to you Well, there really is no other way